Good morning, church. Good morning, church. You all are an unruly mob this morning. Look at you. Praise the Lord. Hey, is anybody excited to be uh, worshiping together this morning? Amen. 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 In the gymnasium of the Lord. Well, once again, good morning, church. I pray that the Lord is filling you with hope, uh, filling you with love this morning. It's not stuff that you can conjure up in your own effort and with your own work. It's just a gift from God. He's got to fill your heart with the fountain of life. Amen? Amen. Amen. So let's do this. We've got a lot of announcements, and most importantly, this morning is Communion Sunday, where we will uh, effectively gather around the table of the Lord together and break bread. Now, again, what we do here is simply a, a representative meal because uh, there's too many of you to bring and have a potluck and we don't have a kitchen and all that stuff, but uh, we do that on Wednesday nights sometimes and I'll tell you more about that in a little bit. But we will break bread together and I'll explain more and give more instruction about that as we get closer to the time. But first, we need to get Bibles into people's hands. If you don't have a Bible, raise your hand and the guys in the back will bring a Bible to you. If you do have a Bible... Then John chapter 4 is our first place that we'll mark. John chapter 4 and Hebrews chapter 11. If you don't know where those are, then you can look in the table of contents and find uh, in the Bible there where you, that you have, you can find those in the table of contents. John chapter 4, Hebrews chapter 11. Okay, let's pray and we'll get into God's word together. Lord, as we uh, just come to you again as a group, Lord, we recognize this, that we are unique. You've created us to be unique in this world, Lord. We are holy and called to be holy just as you are holy. Lord, we don't feel holy. Some of us don't even understand what being holy means. Holy is something that other people are. But Lord, we understand that you've called us to be different just like you are different to not be conformed to what the world to the to the world's mold but to be different to not live for those old past lusts for not live for things that the people that are of the world live for what we want to we desire to we need to live for different things and i pray this morning for this congregation that you put in us a desire to live for the things of god the things of the Spirit, Lord, that those would be our focus and our passion and that you'd fill our hearts with, with desiring you, Lord, desiring your presence in our lives, desiring to obey you, desiring to follow you, desiring to lay down our lives and all that's connected to our selfish ambitions and our desires, just laying that down, Lord, surrendering it all to you and asking you to take this, this marred, piece of clay and to remake it lord on the wheel so we pray for this time that you would continue to use your word in our lives that we would receive it as it is in truth the word of god and be transformed it's in jesus name all god's people said amen amen, amen. so we have a brief passage of scripture we'll go through for the next about 20 minutes in john chapter 4 we'll look briefly also at hebrews 11 and then we will begin uh, just a little more time of worship, and we'll have some prayer time opportunities uh, before we receive communion uh, at the end of the service. So, are we all in the Gospel of John, chapter 4? Everybody but 
me. I'm getting there. Uh, and a, a reminder, as I have been beginning every sermon this way, John has written for a very specific reason, hasn't he, church? And if you've been coming here for a few weeks, you know what that reason is. So that you might... Oh, boy, oh, boy. You need to fire me and get someone who can teach you better. So that you might believe. That's why John wrote, he wants you to believe. Now, that's not just believing with your head. You know that someone can believe mentally that something is possible or or could happen or could be. But he wants you to believe in such a way that you stake your whole life on it. Because there's, there's no promise of life from skepticism. The promise of life is to those who believe. And that's what we're going to talk about today. And that's what John has been pinpointing. He's writing these things so that we might believe and believing that we would have life in his name. So, John chapter 4, we, we met this woman, uh, this, the Samaritan woman who Jesus met at a well. <clears throat> he tells her about the fountain of living water that would sp- he would put in her, would spring up into life. And he told her about uh, being a true worshiper. He speaks to his disciples about the, his desire, his feeding on doing God's will in his own life. And I, and I sure hope that's what we feed on is actually not just knowing God's will, but doing it. And, and there's a revival in Samaria. And that's where we left off. They, they, they begged Jesus, just stay a little longer with us. And, and Jesus stayed two more days with them in Samaria. And many believed because of, of what he said. Some believed because of the, the woman who, who told about uh, what she'd experienced. And others believed because they heard Jesus preaching. So that's where we left off. Now we're in verse 43. Now after the two days, the two days that Jesus stayed in Samaria, he departed from there and went to Galilee. For Jesus himself testified that a prophet has no honor in his own country. So when he came to Galilee, the Galileans received him, having seen all things, all the things that he did in Jerusalem at the feast, that's the Passover feast, for they also had gone to the feast. So he had, he had started out, he was in the wilderness there in Judea, John was baptizing, Jesus was baptizing, Jesus began to, to get quite popular and, and get a following, and there, this created a competition between Jesus' disciples and John's disciples, and people were starting to question. And so Jesus just decided to head back up to Galilee. And it was on his way to Galilee, he stops in Samaria. So now he's finishing his trip up to Galilee, which is where he's from. Jesus is from Nazareth, which is in the region of Galilee, which is the northern region of Israel, heading up toward the north at least. And and this this verse here that we begin with, uh, Jesus quotes a, a commonly known and and commonly popularized uh, saying that a prophet has no honor in his own country. Now, now many of us understand what that means, right? Because we have family members and they know us, right? Sometimes they know us too well and because they know us so well, sometimes they tend to be a little skeptical skeptical about what we might say or, or what we might think. I mean, I know my parents are just, they're so used to, oh, this is just you know, Steve's on another kick again. You know, he's, he's doing this and he's into that and now he's changed again. Now it's Jesus and what's it going to be next, you know. And so there is this difficulty we have with our own family sometimes. Any of you experience that? Other, other people will listen to you and hear and go, wow, that's really awesome. But your family, 
kind of uh, is able to marginalize you or able to, to uh, have put less investment in what you have to say because they know you. I mean, I remember when you were a kid, and, and that was Jesus' issue when he was in Nazareth. They didn't really receive him well, his family, because they said, well, he's a carpenter. He's just, you know, what could he know about God? He's a carpenter. And so we see that sometimes that's true, that people have a difficulty receiving from us if, because they know us from a worldly standpoint. And that's what that saying means. Um, familiarity breeds contempt is how we might say it today. Does that make sense? So that's the thing. Now, this is what makes this so interesting. So he goes up to Galilee because he says this, he quotes this verse, for Jesus himself testified that a prophet has no honor in his own country. His own country is Galilee. So he seems to be trying to escape from this competition that's going on to go to a place where he's not likely to be well received. But something happens there. Verse 45 says, so when he came to Galilee, the Galileans received him. They welcomed him. Having seen all the things he did in Jerusalem at the feast, for they also had gone to the feast. See, the Samaritans didn't go to the feast, but these Galileans had been there at the Passover, and they'd seen him overturn the the tables of the money changers in the temple, and they'd watched him, and they'd listened to him, and they'd seen miracles. And and so when he comes to Galilee, they receive him. And so a lot of people question, well, it doesn't seem to make sense, does it? If you look, he's going because he's not going to be received, but then he's received. And I think yeah, there's a number of, of explanations offered for this. One is that when Jesus refers to his own country, it'd just be Nazareth. So it's not uncommon that in, in other parts of Galilee he'd be received, but it's in Nazareth, his, own, his hometown, that he's not. I don't know. Um, for me, what I like about this, what, what I see here is that I don't have to live down to the stereotypes people have of me. People have stereotypes. You know, here's a good one I looked up. Youth is wasted. How's that finished, you know? Youth is wasted on the young. That's a stereotype, isn't it? That's a commonly quoted saying that that represents a general belief, just like a prophet is not without honor except in his own country. Uh, But I believe it doesn't have to be that way. So here are people from Jesus' own country that are still receiving him, welcoming him in, even though the common proverb is that they wouldn't, that they shouldn't. And the same thing for youth. Youth is wasted on the young. I don't believe it has to be. I believe youth can can make a choice to to make that not true for them individually. Maybe true of youth as a culture, but doesn't have to be true individually. And what are the stereotypes people have about you? What are the things people generalize about you based on your economic level or your skin color or your family background or your maybe even your your Irish? Well, we have that Irish tendency to I'm not gonna say it fill in the blank. Or you're Italian and and Italians say, you know what, I'm not identified, I'm not labeled by the things that are my stereotypes, I'm labeled by the gospel of Jesus Christ and what he does in my life. And so I love to prove people wrong, amen? amen. I'm Polish. <laughs> Actually, Ukrainian, I'm Ukrainian. Part Ukrainian, part Ukrainian, but a lot of roots in Poland and anyway, we know the stereotypes there some of which I help to promote, but others I hope, (laughs) oh my, but I really want to encourage you guys, you know, the Lord, he transformed, we don't have to be what we used to be, we don't have to be what people expect us to be, and I especially love that for the youth, and I see the youth that, that, that are being used in this church, and I think, man, 
The Bible says, hey, worship the Lord when you're young. That's the time to do it. That's when you've got lots of energy. You know, us old folks, we get tired now, easy. Bedtime comes earlier, you know, and we don't have that energy. So, man, when you're young, that's the time to worship the Lord. That's the time to serve Him because you've got energy and you can do things and you can go places. So they receive Him. They welcome Him in. They'd seen what He did at the feast, and so he, He receives a welcome there. So Jesus came again to Cana of Galilee, where he had made the water wine. That was John chapter 2. He had, at this wedding feast, he turned water into wine. And he comes back to that very same place. He had a reputation there. Obviously, the, the results of his miracle were still being talked about there. And we meet a man, a certain nobleman, whose son was sick at Capernaum. So you've got Nazareth in one area. Then on the road between Nazareth and Capernaum, you have Cana of Galilee. So he's kind of in between those two cities. And he comes to Cana. And a nobleman, and that, just, that word just means a, a, he, it's connected to royalty. He has some connection to probably uh, Herod Antipas's uh, family, uh, either by blood or by service. He could be a servant of the king, a courier or some type of... Ser- he, he serves in the king's court, so to speak. He's a nobleman. But he's got a son... And his son is in, he has a residence evidently in Capernaum, and his son is sick there. And so life was just going on as normal until something happened in his life. His son got sick. So when he heard that Jesus had come out of Judea into Galilee, he went to him and implored him to come down and heal his son, for he was at the point of death. Now, no doubt he was a nobleman. He, was, he had access to great power probably had access to great resources financially, the best health care, you name it. It doesn't matter. When, when you got a, a sick child, it, it doesn't matter, you know, you're a nobleman, you're poor, whatever. You, you'll do whatever you can to try to get help for that relative, that child especially. And so he humbles himself. The nobleman has to go see the carpenter. I like that. I think there's something... something awesome there he has to humble himself and come and say first that he needs help and some of you it's that way it's like everything is fine and and you just think that that somehow everything is under control until you come to this place and you realize that i'm just not as as in control as i thought i was and that's the point sometimes god uses a circumstance like this to drive you to your knees when nothing else would when nothing else would touch your heart, when nothing else would, would break down that wall to, between you and Jesus, between you and God, sometimes God uses a difficult trial, a circumstance like this, to, to cause you to go, uh, when, there's nothing, when, there's, when there's nowhere else to go, right? Anybody done? When there's nowhere else to go, you go, well, maybe, maybe I should come to God. And he, and he implores him, he begs him, to come down and heal his son. The, the son was at the point of death. This is an emergency. No one else can help. It's a 20-mile trip, by the way, from Capernaum, or from, from Cana to where his son is in Capernaum. 20 miles. And Jesus' answer here is so interesting. Maybe, I mean, if it was me, I'd have said, well, well let's get going. I mean, get, saddle up the donkeys. Let's go. But Jesus gives this very interesting response. Jesus said to him, unless you people see signs and wonders, you will by no means believe. That seems kind of harsh, doesn't it? I mean, the guy's coming, he's begging on behalf of his sick son. 
and Jesus wants to give him a theological lesson. But he's just stating something true, isn't he? The fact that we are so very tangible. And especially us, we've grown up in the the scientific age, the scientific era, where everything to us has to be, if we can't prove it, if we can't touch it, feel it, taste it, it must not exist. It must not be true. And and this can really be a stumbling block. And you remember Thomas, Thomas, doubting Thomas, that unless I can put my hands in the, in the marks in his hands or, and put my hand in his side, I, I can't believe. And some of you have come in this morning just very, very skeptical. And, and unless you, you say, well, if God would do if I could see an angel by my bedside or if God would do this for me, then I would believe. And sometimes, really, uh, you won't. It doesn't matter what. Because you, what you would say, well, that was just coincidence. It was just, a, well, just, it just happened to be that way. You, you would find some way to explain it away. Miracles don't produce faith. And we see, if miracles did produce faith, then all of those Israelites that saw all the miracles in the wilderness all would have believed. But they didn't, did they? They didn't believe. And they died in the wilderness because of their unbelief. So he said, unless you... And, and he's speaking to... It's like... Uh, the word people in my Bible is in italics. That's mean it's added to demonstrate that Jesus is speaking to a group. You, unless y'all, that's how we would say it. Unless y'all see signs and wonders, you will by no means believe. And I think the idea is that, you know what, folks? You can believe without some tangible seeing uh, or, or a sign or some type of miracle. You can still believe. Matter of fact, we marked... Well, let, let's, let's go a little farther, and then we, we'll go to Hebrews chapter 11. So the nobleman said to him, Sir, come down before my child dies. I mean, we've got to stop wasting time talking about whether or not I want to see signs or not. I mean, we've got to, we, we're, this is an emergency. I mean, we're wasting time here. This is precious time. And Jesus doesn't rebuke him. He doesn't go, go throw up his hands and go, oy vey, or something like that. He said, go your way. Your son lives. Now, again, he had told Jesus, you've got to come down. You've got to come. You've got to be there. You've got to, you know, lay hands on him or wave the magic wand. Or do, you know, they saw Jesus as a miracle worker, just a, a prophet who could work miracles. And, and that's all he was to them. And sometimes so many of us just come to Jesus for what we can get from him. And once we get the relief we were looking for, we're done. And now it takes some faith to come to the Lord initially. And that's the kind of faith this guy, he, he at least came, right? He came to Jesus. And he's believing on a, on a certain minimal level. And we see it all the time. People come and they, they come in here and they're broken. Oh, you know, my life is this, my life is that. I'm, I'm suicidal, whatever. And then as soon as things get better, out the door they go. It reminds me of Pharaoh in, in the Old Testament. When Pharaoh was undergoing all the plagues and, you know, the plague of frogs would come and he'd cry out to Moses, oh, I've sinned, I've sinned, you know, help, help, help. And then Moses would lift the staff and the frogs would, would all go away. And, and then you know what the Bible says of, about Pharaoh? As soon as he found relief, as soon as he got relief, he hardened his heart. And that's so true of, of so many people, isn't it? Well, I like this nobleman. He, um, Jesus says to him, go your way, your son lives. Now, Jesus didn't lay hands on him. He didn't pronounce an incantation. He just said, go your way, your son lives. He didn't have to be there. And so the man believed the word that Jesus spoke to him, and he went his way. Now, the, the man could have said, well, no, all right, all right, 
that's wonderful, but let's just, let's go anyway, right? I mean, I know you say he lives, but I can't be sure, so let's, all, let's go down to Capernaum together, just in case. Or, or can you, you know, give me something more than just your word. Give me something I can, you know. We take so many people at their, at their, we take, sometimes we take the government at their word. You know, some of you guys have been investing in Social Security, and you're trusting it's going to be there for you when you retire. You just believe it's going to be there. And yet when Jesus says something, we go, I'm not sure if I can buy that. Does that sound like a contradiction or what? Hebrews chapter 11. And we'll make this snappy. Because this is really what we're talking about here. We're we're talking about faith. Hebrews chapter 11 is probably the, the preeminent verse that talks about what in the world faith is. Because there's a lot of people you meet say, well, I have, I'm a person of faith. I have faith. I'm not sure sometimes what they're talking about, what they have faith in or who they believe in or what they believe. But this is what verse uh, 1 of chapter 11 of Hebrews tells us. Now, faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Philip Yancey said, faith is believing beforehand what you only understand in reverse. Think about that one. Try to work that out in your mind. Faith is believing beforehand what only makes sense or what you can only understand in reverse. You look back on it and you see. So faith is the substance. The substance is, sub means under, stance means to stand on. So it's, faith is what is the foundation for the things that you are expecting. Not, not just, oh, I hope it happens, I hope this happens. It, it's a confident, in the Bible, hope is a confident expectation of, the, of future things that you have not yet received, but will, are confident that you will receive them. We, look, we, we talk about the resurrection. We believe that when we die as Christians, that that is not the end. Now, I haven't been resurrected yet, and when you die, I see your body there in the casket, but I don't see evidence that you've been resurrected. But I believe it by faith, and that faith is in the reality of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So I believe that because he rose from the dead, so I will uh, be risen from the dead, but it hasn't happened yet. But I live my life believing that it will. And you see, there's a difference between believing that it might happen and really believing to the point where your life begins to smell of, of that belief. Your, your life begins to um, be evidence of that belief. So faith is the substance of things hoped for and the evidence, the, the assurance of things not yet seen. So for the, for the nobleman, he hears God's, Jesus says, go your way, your son lives. Now has he seen it? But is it true? But there's a lag time between when he hears God's word and actually experiences the fact that what Jesus said was true. He's not going to find this out till the next day for himself. And, and if you're... Now faith is a substance of things hoped for. The evidence of things not seen. For by it, the elders obtained a good testimony. And then this whole chapter is about that. But look at verse 3. By faith, we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God. So the things which, which were seen were not made of things which are visible. So by faith, we believe in creation. We, we believe that the world were framed by the word of God. Now there's a whole bunch of other folks that believe by faith that somehow lightning, 
that, that struck a, a pre-mortal slimy soup brought forth life in defiance of everything that's scientific. And that takes faith as well. Because science says life always comes from life. And we believe that our life came from the life of God. I believe that by faith. Now, who, was anybody there at creation? No. So can anybody say for sure, I saw it happen, I measured it, I, I, I weighed it out? No, no one can say that. But we believe by faith that that's what happened. Because God's words, and I believe that when I'm standing in front of the Lord, I'm going to be so thankful I believe these things. Because believing and, and investing your life in that is what brings life. You know, again, have you ever seen a happy skeptic? I really haven't. I mean, I've just not met someone who's really just, ah, I don't, I'm skeptical about this, skeptical. I just not seem to be happy people, you know. But people that believe the Lord, that trust his word, I mean, it's such a relief. It's so filling. It's so freeing to just, hey, I just choose to believe what God said. Can you, can you try to convince me of all these? Yeah, you can try. It's not going to work. Because why? Because I've put my tent stakes down in the field of the Lord. And that's where they're going to stay. And the Bible has been proven true century after century after century. So it's not just blind faith. It's faith that's based on the things of God are more real. And just as certain as anything you can measure, just because you can't see it, doesn't mean it's not true, right? It's like the, the teacher um, of the elementary school class who's got into a discussion with one of her little elementary school students about... Uh, about faith, about believing uh, things that... And so, well, how do you believe... How can you believe in, in, in Jesus? You've never seen him, have you? How can you believe in God? You, you've never seen God, have you? Then and she said, well... The little girl said, well, no. And she said, well, then how can you believe it if you haven't seen it? And, and the little girl said, well, I've never seen your brain, but, but I believe you have one. <laughs> Just because we can't see it doesn't mean it doesn't exist. So he go your way, your son lives. So the man believed the word that Jesus spoke to him, and he went his way. So he responded. He didn't stick around. And as he was now going down, his servants met him and told him, saying, your son lives. I mean, imagine the father's heart, as he, as he, the nobleman's heart, as he comes into the, to, uh, Capernaum. And the servants have come running out to him. Hey, your son lives, your son lives. And he inquired of them. I love this. He inquired of them. The hour when he got better. Now, well, okay, maybe this was coincidence. When exactly did he start feeling better? And they said to him, yesterday, at the seventh hour, the fever left him. Now, it could be 1 p.m., could be 7 p.m., depending on how, if it's Roman or Hebrew time. Don't worry about that. The point is, it was the next day. So the guy didn't travel that night. He's got a whole day wondering if what he learned, if what Jesus said was really true or not. And so this, yesterday, at the seventh hour, the fever left him. And so now I like this. He's not the nobleman in verse 53. He's the father. So the father knew that it was at the same hour in which Jesus said to him, your son lives. And he himself believed and his whole household. So he, he had some measure of faith. He believed that if Jesus came to his son, he could heal him. But now he's learned to believe Jesus at his word, that Jesus didn't need to come, that he can just say the word, and it can be true. To, to the paralytic, he says, your sins are forgiven you. Well, how do I know it's true? 
because Jesus said it. And someday you'll realize that it was true. But for now, we have to live believing that it's true. So, so now this guy's faith is, is really cranked up because now he's seen that just, Jesus just had to say it and it happened. And, and not only did he, says he believed, now he had believed before, he had believed the word that Jesus spoke. But now he believes in who Jesus is. Now he sees him as the Savior, the Messiah. And not only, it didn't just affect him, folks, did it? It affected his whole household. And I hope you have a faith that affects your whole household. Because so many children have rejected the Lord because they see hypocrisy in their parents. And I, I, I remember meeting somebody that um, just, sometimes I get phone calls, Steve, we need you to come talk to a friend of mine. They're just really, you know, opposed to God. They don't want to hear anything about it. They're really angry at God. And, and I say, so who, was, who in their family was a pastor, their father or grandfather? And, and oftentimes I'm right. You know, someone in the family just lived one way on Sunday and then a completely different testimony at home. But the, the belief that you have can be lived out in such a way that, that your whole household goes, wow, you know, what a change in dad. What a transformation in mom's life. And that can affect the faith of your children. Not always. Your children have to have their own faith, don't they? So it's not always. But certainly for this guy, seeing what they saw, I'm sure the son's a believer. You know, the dad tells him the story. But his whole household believed. They, they all followed suit. And again, Verse 54 says, is this, uh, this again is the second sign Jesus did when he had come out of Judea into Galilee. Speaking of in, in Cana of Galilee. So what do we do with this? We're about to share communion, so I'm going to invite uh, Nick to come on back up. Later on in Hebrews 11, the writer of Hebrews says, without faith, it's impossible to please God. I mean, you can't, unless you're willing to believe in something that you can't see, understand, or measure, you, will, you will not be able to live by faith. The Bible says we, we walk by faith, not by sight. We, Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, 6 says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge Him and He'll direct your path. So uh, as, we, as we share communion together, um, this, is, this, is, this is it, isn't it? I mean, this is really, faith is the deal. Are you willing, can you believe in something, even though you can't measure it? And so as we, uh, as we worship the Lord a little bit more, um, we're going to do some praying together. And I know, you know maybe you're not comfortable, maybe you're here visiting for the first time. No one's going to force you to do anything you're, you're uncomfortable with. You can sit right in your seat and, and just uh, enjoy the, the, the worship song. You can pray in your head if you want. But here's what I know, that um, there's a lot of folks in our, in our congregation that are struggling physically with some type of um, cancers, uh, physical injuries, sorenesses, I mean, you name it, there's a lot of physical hurt going on. And so I want to invite you folks, as we just prepare to sit around the Lord's table, if you've got uh, some physical issue going on, I'm going to invite you to stand right now so we can pray for you. All right. All right, just stay standing. Uh, and again, as we do this, if you are not comfortable praying, just sit where you are. No, you know, this is not a high-pressure sales deal. But I know there's a lot of people in our church that love to pray. And so right now, as uh, Nick is going to lead us in another song, um, I want those of you in the congregation that are comfortable praying 
just to go and get three or four people around those that are standing and um, ask them what it is they need prayer for and just begin praying for them right now. Can we do that, church?